The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Well, I feel a lot more comfortable having everything in working order by the time Enterprise gets back. Uh, I don't think I really like. I've got a copy of Ulysses here. I doubt I'll even be halfway through it by the time the ship gets back. I'd rather realign every microcircuit on this shuttle than try to wade through that, baby. British schools have a core curriculum. It serves to provide a well-rounded education. Sometimes I think you North Americans read nothing but comic books and those ridiculous science fiction novels. I'll have you know that Superman was laced with metaphor. <laughs> subtext layered on subtext. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, May the 10th. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing, just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and this is the place where everything will be all right from now till noon because this is the place you can come to feel centered on the right because that's what this show is all about. A lot of stuff for you today. wanted to, of course, do some follow-ups on uh, a number of the stories and editorials uh, that I talked about last week. Uh, everything from television shows to uh, gas prices to, of course, the ever-present uh, follow-ups on the whole environmental craze. That's what I have to call it. And, uh, of course, I've been promising for a little while, too, that I was going to do a little bit of a reorientation of what I mean by uh, left and right on the show. But uh, to begin off with, I would like to start, let's, let's begin with some reactions to some of the things that occurred last week. You'd almost think uh, someone was tuned into the show because I saw a number of the very opinions reflected by myself being reflected in other media as I was... Uh, just perusing the papers and listening to the media over the past week. Uh, some of you might have remembered last week I did some of my own personal complaining about one of my favorite shows, favorite already, only saw one or two or three episodes of Drive being canceled so quickly. And uh, my previous comments about how I find that, uh, you know, a lot of television is really better than a lot of uh, what you see in the movies. But there's an interesting story developing around all this. I was really surprised to see someone share my perspective on this, and I'm referring to the television col column in the Free Press May 6th by uh, Sun Media correspondent Bill Harris. And um, he made some fascinating points here that I just would like to reflect on if, if you're wondering what's going on with your favorite TV shows and why the scheduling is, is such a problem. But he, he comments in his, in his column that he's been asked by so many people, you know, like, can you explain why my favorite shows disappear for, for months on end? And uh, he talks about, uh, he says that, that the issue for him is why the shows disappear. He says that TV executives have found that with serial dramas, okay, that audience are apparently are getting kind of mad and furious when they toss in reruns into the mix. And apparently it confuses people, so the, so the networks have concluded it's better to take a show off the air completely for four, six, or eight weeks rather than putting, you know, reruns into the same time slot. Now, of course, uh, as I mentioned myself, and he says here too, quote, the challenge for the viewer, of course, is keeping track of when all these shows are returning. And he says, I swear, quote, I watched Heroes last week and it was almost as if I'd missed about five years, end quote. He tells you what that joke's about, but unless you're a fan of Heroes, I'm not going to give away what that joke was really about. But uh, interestingly, Bill Harris shares my opinion here as well. You know, this is something I said, uh, I think, quite a few weeks ago when I was actually sitting in for Jim Chapman on his show one time. And I said, uh, you know, some, uh, well, let, let, let's, here's Bill Harris saying it, basically, quote, Personally speaking, the quality of top-end TV shows these days is higher than it has ever been. Intellectual and narrative boundaries are pushed far more vigorously on TV than in movie theaters. But that said, I'm also sensing a high level of frustration among TV viewers. It's sort of like seeing something in a store and wanting to buy it, but every time you try to hand over the money, the cashier is moved to another corner of the room. And that is exactly, exactly the problem that I was outlining last week with my frustration 
with with the show Drive. Here I was, I was looking all forward to seeing this great show, seeing the next episode, and they keep moving it around. And it, even when it's listed in the guide, it's not on when it's supposed to be. So what do you do? Interesting item yesterday, too. Uh, I was surprised to see this, really. Um, I know, uh, again, I think on that same show that I sat in for Jim back then, I, I gave you all my theory of what really Lost was about, uh, what the real story was. Won't get into that now, but there's an interesting item in yesterday's paper that apparently, I guess, guess Lost is having some kind of ratings problems, and now their ABC is trying to boost the ratings by telling everyone that the show will definitely end in 2010. I'm not sure what the, what, what the logic behind that is, but uh, they're going to promise a highly anticipated and shocking finale in the 2009-2010 season, ABC announced. Um, the series, which saw its ratings drop this season amidst, amidst complaints about scheduling, there you go again. Uh, you know, like I say, the networks are really having a problem with the scheduling deal. Um, an increasingly meandering plot, well, that's true if you don't really get it, <laughs> and unpopular new characters. And that surprised me. I, I uh, thought some of the characters were more on the popular side. But anyways, they say it still must prove itself to disenchanted viewers to survive. You know, that was the danger I brought up with, with the whole Lost scenario, that they have to play it. Uh, they can play it. They can pretend it's a fantasy, they can pretend it's, it's reality reflected in some way, or they can make it science fiction. But I think that they've actually hooked in more of the reality crowd, and if suddenly they switch it to a type of show that some of the people weren't into watching in the first place, um, you, can, uh, you can imagine some of the frustration, like people who don't like science fiction, all of a sudden the show they were watching, it turns out to be science fiction, they just won't, won't watch it. Um, Reminds me of a story, you know, when when my father was still alive, we were we were sitting around. My my dad and I, like he would never sit down and watch Star Trek or anything like that, and uh, never really understood why, because there were you know he, he could stretch his limits on certain certain types of shows. But one day we were sitting around, uh, I think it could have been new, uh, you know, like New Year's or Christmas or even Thanksgiving, and we we're talking about TV shows. And out of the blue, my dad says he doesn't like those shows where where guys wear masks. And just everybody around the table kind of got quiet and looked at him and where guys wear masks. And turns out he's talking about Star Trek The Next Generation and, and was referring to Worf. And apparently he got hooked into the show a couple of times, not realizing what he was watching. And then when Worf walks in the, into the room, he got all upset and didn't want to watch the show anymore. Doesn't want to watch that thing with the guy with the mask. The idea of the, this, that Worf could be a, you know, another uh, being, another race or or uh, species was uh, not in his way of thinking that wasn't the kind of show for him so you know it was it's just one of those things but anyways at least it's nice to know i'm not alone on uh, on that particular issue in in terms of uh, uh you know my frustration with television uh, just as an aside i noted that my old friend mark emery uh, was in the news again this weekend. I guess there were 20,000 people that gathered in uh, Toronto at the foot, foot of the legislature, you know, um, talking about wanting legalized marijuana laws, you know. Um, Mark, of course, I spoke to him quite a while ago, seems to be doing well. He's still facing that uh, that indictment to the United States, which uh, could be a, a major problem for him. But... Uh, you know, it says here uh, in the paper, just May 6th again, that uh, uh, he's been arrested more than 20 times in Canada. He's going to be in, in the B.C. Supreme Court. I guess that's later this month, so this is going to be an important time for him. I know a lot of people who know Mark Emery, and they generally either love him or hate him, you know. Uh, but whether you do love him or hate him, uh, I have to tell you, it's guys like Emery who make it possible for the rest of us to bitch about guys like Mark Emery, if you know what I mean. And uh, you might not like that, but, you know, that too is reality, as someone used to say in the media. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just the way it is, that uh, so few people are willing to, you know, really put it on the line. Because generally all laws that work in the direction of liberty generally require somebody to break them, defy them, uh, or otherwise challenge them in a court and, and be willing to take that personal risk on behalf of all of us. So, you know, don't take people like that for granted, whatever you may think about the basic issues. 
Another big thing going on, of course, the gas prices. Uh, the frenzy's going on today. Just heard from uh, uh, some groups that came out today. You know, prices are actually slightly down today. But I guess the, the Center for Poli Policy Alternatives, a left-wing think tank, has uh, today released a report saying that uh, we're being ripped off at the gas pumps. And on what do they base this? Well, based on the cost and the traditional profit margins. Well, how can you be a think tank and be thinking like that? That's not the way prices are set. You know, have they never heard of supply and demand? Do they, do they not know that supplies are down now? Apparently they do. Um, you know, their statement says we're paying 15 cents more per liter than is justified. Well, justified by what? You know, you know again, this, this is, again, one of those key issues, so much like, like the globe, global warming issue, where people, you can really see the lack of information and, and knowledge that people have about basic economics, about basic supply and demand. But if you put simple questions to them and how they affect their personal lives, sometimes they see the, the economics of it clearly, but when it's a big, big picture, then all of a sudden everybody's on the take, which is, it's really not possible to fix oil prices or gas prices. It is what the market will bear. For example, suppose the supply of, of gas and oil was down to the last few barrels or gallons of oil, you know? Would, would you still argue that the price of those last few drops should just be above the cost of production when the demand for them is relatively, you know, infinite? I mean, that, that's utterly ridiculous. Um, you know, it's called a think tank. I heard I heard a, a, a spokesman this morning on one of the other stations uh, talking about that they, you know, for this think tank, um, talking about he wanted a regulatory regime. And when asked why, he says, well, because uh, gas is essential. We need it, you know. And right now the market is, you know, there's an enormous amount of market power, he said. And he says the market is not working for consumers. This is absolutely nonsense, folks. When you hear the word market, remember what the market is. It's not some, uh, uh, you know, abstract philosophical notion. The market is you. The market is me. The market is the producers. The market is the consumers. The market is the retailers. They all work together. This is the true democracy. And sometimes we don't like the price of something that we've all arrived at together, as long as we're in a voluntary situation. And... The price is what protects our supplies. This is not about making profit per se. The profits are going to be necessary. There haven't been any new refineries built in North America in over 30 years. The oil companies are going to have to invest more. There's more expected of them in terms of environmental concerns. So for you know, a group to be complaining that they're making, quote, excess profits, which isn't even true, they might be making more money per liter. But profits are not necessarily... Uh, you know, earned by, by higher prices. You can lower prices and increase profits. Now, of course, they talk about the, again, the, the, the market being dominated by four players. I went through that whole thing last week. It's really interesting to hear it all um, thrown back at me. But you can tell that this is a left-wing group that is putting this out because, ironically, the one thing that they dismissed and that they called, quote, a red herring was the tax part of your gasoline prices because that's what they want. They, the left always wants higher taxes, more government control. I mean, regulatory regime, that's what they said. So, uh, you know, and what is their solution to the gas prices? Well, you've got to direct your rage at politicians. That's what you do. You just get rage and get angry and get real mad at those politicians out there because, by gosh, they're just doing everything wrong for you, aren't they? Anyways, when we return on the other side of this set. We'll be coming back to a little bit of a reorientation about what I really mean uh, left and right. I know some of you might not have heard me the first couple times around, uh, why it's different from being right-wing in terms of my uh, perspective on being right. So uh, when we return, that'll be the first thing I get back to. Sometimes people worry because my jokes are serious. They go, why are your jokes so serious? Are you trying to change the world? And I'm not trying to change the world. The world is balanced. We've all had hard lives. You know what I figured out about life? You know what gets less about your life and your problems than you do? Everybody. <laughs> so no, I'm not trying to change the world, man. Plus, I did some research, and people that try to change the world end up dead, if my history is correct. Malcolm, Dr. King, Gandhi, they're all gone. So it seems kind of risky to try to change the world. I mean, I'd try it if I knew I wouldn't get hurt, but that's not saying much, is it? 
but we'd all do a bunch of stuff. We knew there was no pain involved. Think what you could do. You know what? I'd be feeling. I'd go to a Klan rally and roast marshmallows if I knew I wouldn't get hurt. I'd be like, hey, why not? I'd come in drunk with a stack of on a stick. I'm like, wow, you guys know how to build a fire. God damn. Call. stopped at a red light in my car, you know, I'm driving, stop at a red light and the squeegee, the squeegee dude comes at you. You know the squeegee dudes that come over and they squeegee your windshield and you give them a nickel or whatever? I don't know what you give them, but that's it. Here you go. <laughs> this guy comes over, he was the skinniest person walking the planet, the squeegee guy, he's got to be 74 pounds, this guy. That's holding his dirty water bucket, 71 pounds. <laughs> so this guy starts squeegeeing my windshield. I notice he's wearing a t-shirt that says, Anarchy on it. It's got the A with a big circle. Anarchy. I'm thinking, yeah, you think he's thought this through? You think he wants to live in a world without rules? All 74 pounds of them? Think he's going to do well in a Mad Max society? They're going to give him the grand poobah horns and let him call the shots, you figure? Or is he going to be the hood ornament in the dune buggy around day two? This some 300-pound biker eating soup out of his skull. That's what's going to happen. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. I've been called an anarchist so many times just because uh, I think that there should be a little bit less government in our lives than we have right now. Anyways, Bob Metz here on Just Right. You're with us. We'll be here with you till uh, noon today. It's CHRW Radio 94.9. You can join us here, 519 661 3600. Just before I get into what I was talking about before, I was going to get into a reorientation on left and right. Uh, just one little follow, one little extra note I got, I remember, regarding the gas prices. A friend of mine sent me an email and he said, uh, uh, thanks for this, Jack. Uh, did you guys see that Iran is issuing ration cards for gas? The price of gas in Iran is nine cents a liter and is heavily subsidized. The government doesn't want to raise prices, so they'll be rationing instead. Iran is the world's fourth largest oil producer, but doesn't have the refining cap capacity it needs to, to meet its own needs. So it imports almost 50% of its gas. Think about that for a minute. And uh, it just goes to show you again that when governments get in there and you want your prices fixed, yeah, they'll fix them for you, all right, real high, and then you can start standing in line waiting for, for rations, because that's just how it works. Anyways... Left and right. I've, I've, uh, this is an issue that, uh, of course, I'm in politics. I've, been, I've run municipally, I've run federally, I've run provincially. Uh, I stopped running a while ago because now I think I'm more useful sitting in a chair like this, talking to people and being on talk shows. I do a lot of that kind of thing. And one of the greatest uh, confusions that I consistently run into is, is what people think left and right is. What's the difference? A lot of them don't know, don't care to know. Um, you know, they look at the three basic choices as they see them don't see much difference between them um, there's always that small percentage of people who are the hardcore supporters of any political party they certainly see see differences in their eyes now me I'm you know I'm sitting out here all by myself I have this whole different view of what left and right is yes there's a historical perspective of course left and right you go back far enough, it literally referred to which side of the house you were, you were sitting on, whether you were on the left or the right side. But it goes far deeper than that. There is a definite ideological definition that, that you can consistently apply. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about what you perceive as a left, right, center, whatever party. The actual left values and right values are very consistent. It just depends to what degree any political party may practice them, whether that party is regarded as properly left or right. Uh, I leave most of those kinds of things in, in the individuals. Uh, you can decide for yourself whether a party's too right, too left, whatever. But basically, if you go back to, you know, as early as, as we can go back to in defining the, the basic differences between uh, say left and right thinking, and you're going back to Plato and Aristotle, thousands of years, you know, thousands of years ago, and uh, Plato, of course. And it's not that they were 
the only people to have ever defined these issues is just that they are almost the starting point for our current uh, run of civilization, if you would. Uh, they were the first uh, to have their work so uh, recorded that we can still refer to them uh, unto this day and see the original writings, etc., etc. Um, of course, uh, Socrates, who who actually taught Plato, and Plato uh, knew Aristotle. It's amazing, the three of them lived at very close to the same time, uh, Socrates being the oldest and, and Aristotle being the youngest. But within, like, we're talking a lifetime and a half of each other. But nevertheless, the, the basic breakdown goes like this, and I've done this once before on the show. I've done it, I've gone a little further with it this time. But I'm going to compare left and right, and I'm going to go left right now. You can go, we'll start with the left, okay? And the left basically will lead you to a totalitarian state, to tyranny. In fact, that was Plato's uh, Republic, which was all about the ideal state being totalitarian, believed in everything from government education uh, to controlling the citizen on every le level. And, of course, the right as such is generally represents freedom, individual choice. So you start on the left, you've got Plato. You go to the right, to contrast, Aristotle. Uh, what was the basic difference with them? On a metaphysical level, Plato was into unreality. He actually believed in mind over matter. He didn't think that the reality we saw was, was the real reality. Now, we're not talking about science here in the sense, although that was part of the discussion, whether you can see atoms and, and molecules and things like that. Of course you can. You see them as the matter around you. And you have evidence of that. But no, this is going beyond that. This is saying that there's a supernatural realm somewhere up in the ether. And uh, this is why often Plato is referred to as, you know, mind over matter. Aristotle, on the other hand, matter over mind. He said it doesn't matter whether your brain is here on Earth or not. The Earth is still going to be here. The objective reality is here. Uh, the ground is here. The sky is there. They won't change just because of your perception of them. And that battle rages to, to this day. It's remarkable that that's basically the starting point of everything on the left and on the right. On the left, you have more of whim, mysticism, literalism. On the right, you have reason, principle. On the left, you have involuntary, you know, forced. You have to, you're forced to do everything. On the right, you're talking about voluntary. This doesn't mean you never use force in self-defense and to keep a society voluntary. That's certainly a justified use of force. But to initiate force against someone just to get something you want because they have it, uh, that would not be a, quote, right thing to do. On the left, you have uh, very limited choice or no choice at all. On the right, you have freedom of choice. On the left, you have what is called social justice, which means individuals aren't really directly responsible for what they do, but society bears some responsibility. And, uh, you know, I don't throw that view totally out, out the window, but I don't think it, it's, it is the determining factor in guilt or innocence, but that's another issue. And, of course, on the right, you have individual justice, where individuals uh, understand that their rights and responsibilities go hand in hand. On the left, you have basic anti-science, junk science. Uh, on the right, you have real science, science all that, that is always questioned. You know, you can tell junk science and anti-science when they tell you, you can't question it anymore. Uh, the door is closed on this. Well, that's junk. Okay, because that's just not the nature of science, okay? That, that again, is mysticism. It's, it's, uh, it's whim. It's literalism. On the left, you have government-controlled economies. On the right, you have economic freedom. On the left, you have advocacies of force to implement all the other things they want to do. On the right, you deal mainly with persuasion and consent. You have a contract society where people are held to their promises. The government will use force to keep you, to keep you to your promise, but they're not going to force you to make the promise. It's up to you to do that. On the left, you have uh, statism, which means that basically the government is held in a higher uh, status than the individual, uh, whereas on the right you have freedom, which means that whether you're a politician, government, or anyone alike, that you're all equal before and under the law. On the left, you have group rights, on the right, you have individual rights. Now, group rights, of course, you hear them expressed in many ways. It could be by the color of a person's skin. could be by their profession. could be by their nationality. could be by anything that the government can think of to pit one group at an, uh, against another 
or to sound like they're favoring one group at, with the money of another group. Uh, this kind of thing is what causes so much dissension and uh, conflict in, so, in societies. Basically, group rights end up being inequality under the law, practiced as egalitarianism of kind. You hear that a lot. Um, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Peter might have earned twice as much money as Paul, but uh, the left-wing person thinks, well, Paul should have just as much money as Peter, so we'll take it from Peter, and now they're equal. Whereas on the right, we would say, well, they, you know, all other things being equal, they had an equal chance to make the same amount of money, maybe, maybe made different choices, but they're still equal before and under the law, whether one person is in poverty or the other person is wealthy. On the left you'll find that you have a very limited or almost no right to self-defense. I mean, we, you, know, you want proof that we are living in a left-wing society? You can't even legally defend your, yourself in your own home right now. I don't know if you heard about this case of 70-something-year-old fellows being charged for, for pulling a gun on somebody that invaded him in his home. And not only the, the, the intruder is being charged, but also the homeowner. Uh, I think that's outrageous myself, but... Again, that's because I'm on the right where you do have the self. On the left, you have increasing, always intolerance. It's always on the left. Uh, intolerance for differing points of view, intolerance for differing groups, um, you know, things of that, that nature. On the right, you have respect and tolerance. Whether you agree with someone doesn't mean you have to agree. Uh, one of the most important things in a free society is having the right to disagree, and that's one of the things that distinguishes a free society from a non-free society. In a non-free society, if there's two sides, and one side says, I disagree with you, uh, and the other side says, well, too bad. You're going to agree with me, and I'm going to force you. You can't go your own way or you know, act according to your own conscience. You're going to be forced to do so. And so those are the basic, uh, what I would call, properties. Now, if you, in, in a more concrete sense, I guess you could say on the left, the left views government as a player in the game. They're into government education, government in health insurance, government welfare, uh, government control of everything, you know. And, and on the right, you'd have more uh, government as referee, you know, government and private education, private health insurance, private charity. doesn't mean that government can't help and doesn't do some of the, quote, welfare functions that people expect it to do, but it does play a different function than the government taking over these in complete institutions. Um, just as an observation, I, I keep seeing the left is constantly sort of screaming, feel, 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 don't think about anything, just, just follow us and, 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 uh, and do what we say. You don't have to think it out, whereas the right is saying, think, 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 which is probably part of the problem the right has, because thinking requires effort, and it's not always that easy to see what, you know, what an issue is made of just by looking at its superficial, uh, superficialities, rather. So, uh, uh, you know, basically... On the left, you know, in the, in, the, in the net result, you have what I would call irrationality. On the right, you're promoting rationality. And when governments protect irrationality, uh, or uh, protect against irrationality, rather, you have a free society and you have capitalism. When governments promote irrationality or fail to protect rationality in law, then the result is some form of collectivism, whether it's socialism, communism, or some such other thing. Uh, you're listening to Just Right with Robert Metz on CHRW 94.9. We will be back right after this break with more, and this time on the environment, because, boy, has there been a lot of fallout uh, in the past week on this issue, Elizabeth May and all. We'll see you on the other side. I live in Los Angeles now. All my friends are hippies, really liberal people, and they're horrified that Bush is the president in the United States, but I refuse to buy into the negativity, you know. I prefer to look at things in a more positive light. You know, I'm thinking Bush, Republicans, tax breaks. Who doesn't like tax breaks? But all my friends are like, Tony, this Bush guy, he's only out for the rich white man. And I'm like, hello, thank you. <laughs> Finally. Superpower. You got United States on one side, Russia on the other. Either one of them starts shooting and be like, great light show, eh? <laughs> it's 
supposed to get new weapons. They always say we're going to get new subs, new helicopters. We're too nice. We're too nice. I could just see this Canadian submarine rises out of the water. Attention, invading vessel. You have entered Canadian sovereign territory. Can we get you anything? Let us know who to make the check out to. We'll have it sent right over. Attention, le vessel invading. You're listening to Just Right uh, with Bob Metz here at CHRW 94.9 FM. You can call 519-661-3600 to join us here, as Marcel has this morning. Uh, thanks for calling in and joining us for the conversation, Marcel. What can we do for you today? How you doing there, Bob? Not too bad. First off, I'd like to say uh, I think you got a pretty good head on your shoulders, and I do respect some of your opinions there. I've also noticed that you and Jim Chapman seem to have had a, uh, a specific take on the environmental issues. Uh-huh. Uh, you seem to attack the more unscientific, unsophisticated uh, perspectives of the environmental movement. And once you do that, you leave the rest of us thinking that, okay, well, we don't have an environmental problem. Let's go about our merry way. Uh, no, I, I do look at the science. I am very environmentally uh, conscious. Mm-hmm. And let's not, let's not forget what the Industrial Revolution has done uh, to our lakes and rivers and air quality and our health. And right now China is going to be uh, passing America as the biggest polluter on the planet. And there's a lot of third world nations who are uh, going to go through a sort of Industrial Revolution type phase. India's coming with one billion people. You China, over a billion right. people. Yep. Yep. And uh, there's many more countries, if given the chance, that will pollute this planet to the point where, uh, you know, the future is uh, very uh, scary. Well, uh, okay, and, and I know that uh, there are environmentally minded people who uh, are uh, raising up their arms and crying, uh, you know, Marcel, uh, can I, and can, all that. Can I ask you a question? Sure. What would you... Okay, I, I understand your concern about industrial revolution, and certainly pollution is a legitimate, is a legitimate concern. Yeah, remember and, acid rain? Hey. And I can't recall, you know, I'm not a member of any of the major political parties, trust me. I can't recall any party or politician ever in, my, in the history of my entire political career having said, I'm in favor of pollution, I'm in favor of a worse environment. It's just a non-issue on that level. And the very industrialization to which, to which you're expressing a fear against is, is the ultimate solution to the pollution problem. The problem well, today is that they're making us all go crazy over silly things like plastic bags, light bulbs, and above all, CO2, which is abs- I've seen no evidence of CO2 being any, of any harm to anything or anybody. So, I understand that perspective there, Bob. Mm-hmm. But there are real issues, whether you want to take a nuclear issue, like what are they doing with all the nuclear uh, uh, waste, well, you they, know, from nuclear reactors? They don't even know what to do with it. Well, yes, they do. Uh, in fact, Ontario is even buying waste from certain other countries. The amount of space that nuclear waste takes relative to the energy we get out of it is, is minuscule. You could fill a, a person's bathroom with a year's supply well, of stuff. Well, let's talk about Chernobyl, um, okay? Well, like, I'm not... Accidents what, can happen. And I'm not saying do away. The thing is, it's like, uh, well, I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't know why you're bringing up the nuclear issue. I've never really discussed that. It's a whole separate issue. It's considered one of the cleaner fuels. Chernobyl was in a iron curtain country. Sorry. A disaster. Yes, it was. Because We're surrounded by nuclear reactors. Let's not forget mm-hmm. Three Mile Island. Like well, you know, one of these one one of these babies start going. We're lit, it's in our backyard. There's about we're surrounded by about three nuclear plants, right? Well, you know, I have to hand it to Jimmy Carter at the time. He, he had a lot of guts walking into there to try to convince people like you that there's no danger from things like that. Well, and he went in Jimmy there. Carter, <laughs> Jimmy Carter was one of the people who went up north to uh, stop a meltdown of a nuclear reactor. Up north. Up here, north. Here in Canada. In Canada. Well, I, I, did that make news? I haven't even heard of that one. Well, it, it, look but, it up. But never Search it out. Jimmy Carter was the guy who risked his ass to go up north and stop a meltdown of a nuclear reactor in Canada. You're sure you're not talking about the one we just talked about? No, not uh. Chernobyl. <laughs> 
but listen, Marcel, what, what, what would your solution be? Just like, would you stop all industrialization? Would you well, have see, We don't back? have to go industrial. That's the whole thing. Well, the how green are... movement can become a, a big uh, money-making a new enterprise. Well, that's called industry. How do you? How do you? How, that's industry. Well, okay. Uh, like we can talk about green industry, right? Well, green industry is miles ahead of you. They're already out there. I could. I, I. I know at least seven or eight or nine inventors and scientists myself. Some of them doing work here at the UWO who are miles ahead on this issue. But and I support that. Uh, well, that that would be industry. So what's your problem with industry? Well, China is not playing that game. Well, like you can drive in China. Marcel, come on. City. Do you and I have any control over what China is going to do? They could drop a bomb on us tomorrow, and they're even talking about doing it. So why would well, why, why are we worrying about China? Oh, so the things we have no control over, are just just forget about them. Let's no, no, sleep. no. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm well, saying that like you, saying. you can think globally, but you can only act lo locally because this is where your jurisdiction is. You can. Well, we can change minds. You know, we we we. That's what the green movement is all about. That's what Greenpeace was all about. That's what a lot of no. That's not what Greenpeace is all. Greenpeace, you know, you're actually demonstrating for me something that I wanted to convince people in another way. That the Green Movement, if you're a representative of it, is very. I am anti not a representative of it. Well, you support it, but I know that this plant cannot survive as long as there's a, a dioxin in our drinking water. As long as there's PCBs in our drinking water. And, and who's, in, who's in favor of that? Who's in favor of that? You're calling me in favor? You're telling me I'm in favor of PCBs in our drinking water and I'm in favor well, of po pollution? My you know original how you point, my original point, Bob, was that when you talk about the more unscientific aspects of environmental movement, you give the impression that somehow uh, our environment is okay, it's all safe, it's all hunky-dory, and we can all go back and watch TV. Well, that's not the impression. And then, and then you can look through your TV guide and wonder why your show isn't listed. You know, those are your biggest problems, your biggest concerns. Oh, come but on, I, but Marcel, please. Say, but I'm trying to say that there are a lot of things in the environmental movement and in, that are legitimate. I never said they weren't, and I've always said that pollution okay, is a legitimate concern. Okay, but you the impression when you attack the more unscientific and unsophisticated aspects of the environmental movement that everything's hunky-dory. And everything is not hunky-dory. Well, if maybe you've been left with that impression. I certainly haven't been. In fact, I think that the well, things I'm the environmental... Well, I'm aware of the impression you're leaving a lot of people that you and Jim uh, Chapman uh, just want to keep... Uh, doing what we've well, been you, doing for the last hundred years you think we're this planet. You, you think we're the only ones saying this? Do, do, do the facts not matter to you? Does it not matter to you that perhaps CO2 is not the cause of the earth warming? Well, maybe I understand that. See, I understand that. I understand that it could be other factors. Okay. Okay? But there's nothing right about putting mercury in, in rivers and lakes. There's 14 different carcinogens Mar in our Marcel, lakes. I can only talk about one subject at a time. I realize that if I'm talking about global warming, I'm not talking about mercury. If I'm talking about global I warming, I'm not talking about pollution. I'm okay. talking about the issue that's being shoved down our throats, not the issues that you seem to be concerned with, which quite frankly, are almost kind of solved. I don't know how old you are, but I've been in this city for 50 years, and I can tell you right now the rivers are cleaner. Our air, we're still getting smog warnings, but that's not mostly our fault. It's our location and smog coming in from elsewhere. But these are issues that are being dealt with. Elsewhere, from China. Sorry? From China. Well, right. China's going to have to clean up their act. There's no question. Yeah, well, and that's so what? So, uh, uh, wait a minute. Are you bringing are you up China? Me, are you telling me there's no dioxin and PCBs in our water? There's 14 different carcinogens in our drinking water. Uh, people that drink from the Great Lakes have the highest cancer rate in the world. And what's that got to do with CO2 and global warming and well, the things I've been talking CO2s. about? We already talked about CO2s, and I agreed with you that there it could be related to other factors. So you're ta so you're attacking so, me on this issue for what reason again? Well, because, uh, which was my original point, when you talk about the environmental movements, and you and Jim Havman, Havman, Chapman have a history of, like, making them sound like complete idiots, right? Well, yeah, I think they are, actually, but I, okay. uh, and I'll keep saying okay. that. And uh, you're leaving the impression when you do that, Bob, that somehow there are no environmental issues. Well, then you haven't. Then you just haven't been listening, Marcel. You know? Well, I have been listening. Uh, well, even even in this conversation, China, you admitted to me that China was a real concern, and a lot of third world countries will get industrialized, and they're still you burning coal, still burning uh, 
you know, so uh, is your point caveman of, type uh, industry, right? Is your point of bringing up China because you agree that we should be sending our money to China through Kyoto? Is that why you keep bringing up China? No, I keep bringing up China as just an example of the, the, the amount of pollution that is going on on this planet. Well, like, listen, if China, if China didn't have that pollution right now, they would be like they were 20 and 30 years ago, starving in the streets. And people literally starving in the streets, which is well, not the well, case in China anymore. And well, so when you say you're opposed to that kind of pollution, then you have to be in support of the starvation and the misery of the, th of the Chinese people. And, that, if you think, and if you think China has solved a lot of problems by using child labor, I, I, so we can go and buy shirts for oh 50 my goodness. cents. You know, you've got, you're, you've got, you're carrying a lot is, of is chips China on your shoulder. Using, is China not using child labor? Oh, absolutely. Okay, then. So, but what's that got so to do with part, it? So that's part of their whole mentality. They I'm, do repress I, people. Of course, and I'm probably one of the loudest opponents to the Chinese regime and well, just They're a communist country. how much country. advancement they made. Well, you know, the kinds of policies that would have to be implemented to put into place the ideas you've just expressed to me would create a country exactly like China. Because you'd have to have a totalitarian state. You would have to have the very things that you're saying you object to. No, we just but. have to get the message across that, uh, do you have kids, Bob? Yep. Okay, so, like, do you spray your lawn? You with, uh, ne never did, but I got nothing wrong. I have no problem with it. So if they're playing on the lawn and they got their nose in it, uh, that's well, you okay? Don't, you don't put your nose in the lawn, no. Yeah, okay, well... Kids do play on lawns. They do wrestle. And yeah, and if, like they, if I had a kid that played on my lawn, I wouldn't be spraying it. Or if I sprayed it, I wouldn't let my kid play on my lawn. That's an easy problem to solve. Okay. I don't need you running to the government to tell them that if I spray my lawn, they're going to take some money, find me, or put me in jail. And that's why people well, like... Well, I didn't say that, first of all. Well, no, no, you didn't say it. Of course, I, you I never would take, say take, it. Take you would never say the consequences of your idea. Get those factories to stop putting dioxin and PCBs in our drinking water, where our children swim, where our children drink, okay? And every time they do have heavy water spills from the nuclear reactors, it does go into the lakes that you swim in and that you drink. Okay, Marcel. Marcel? Marcel? If you think I'm being an extremist here... Yeah, you are. You're wrong. Well, you're wrong. Well, you are being an extremist. You're drinking and swimming... Dioxin and PCBs, which has the highest, uh, is, is prone to give you the highest cancer rate. And you think PCBs I'm in favor? PCBs and dioxin. And you think I'm in favor of that? Well, you seem to be saying there's nothing to worry about. I'm being an extremist. Well, I never said that. But you seem to be. Anyways, I think you've had your point here, Marcel. And, and do call again. I, I don't agree with you anything you said today, in fact. Uh, but anyways, well, then, uh, we're at the ad point, and I'm being cued here that we have to go to ads. Well, have so, fun drinking your tap water. Oh, well, you're, thank you very much. And we'll see, we'll see you folks on the other side of this. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. And now, looking into the future, all for the news of the future, here is our future, news of the future from our news of the future man. <laughs> Here's our future man, Dan. <laughs> oh, Oh, no, 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 Goldie, don't huh? feel at all distressed. I think you're getting better. <laughs> you do? Yeah. Oh, well, thanks, Dick. And listen, if you see Dan, will you tell him I just introduced him? Oh, I'll do it. <laughs> California, 1988, 20 years from now. Los Angeles finally succeeded in catching up with New York City today when Mayor Shirley Temple Black officially opened the newly completed L.A. subway system. She was immediately mugged. <laughs> Item 1988, an effort to correct the image of history was made when the remaining American Indians were asked if they had any grievances. Both said no. <laughs> 1988, Washington, D.C. The Warren Commission today handed down its long-awaited second report, clearing up 20 years of doubts and rumors in spite of the fire in the National Archives <laughs> and the mysterious disappearance of Dallas, Texas. The... Um, the commission was able to reach a definitive conclusion. The report was entitled, What Assassination? Views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW.
Lance, we can head him off this open government nonsense. But I thought we were calling the white paper open government. Yes, well, always dispose of the difficult bit in the title. There's less harm there than in the text. <laughs> the more of inverse relevance, the less you intend to do about something, the more you have to keep talking about it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what's wrong with open government? I mean, why shouldn't the public know more about what's going on? Are you serious? <laughs> well, uh, yes, sir. I mean, it is the minister's policy, after all. My dear boy, it's a contradiction in terms. You can be open, or you can have government. But, <laughs> but surely the citizens of a democracy have a right to know. No, they have a right to be ignorant. <laughs> Knowledge only means complicity and guilt. Ignorance has a certain dignity. But if the minister wants open government... You don't just give people what they want if it's not good for them. Do you give brandy to an alcoholic? Oh, uh, if people don't know what you're doing, they don't know what you're doing wrong. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry, Sir Humphrey. I am the minister's private secretary, and if that's what he wants... My then... dear fellow, you will not be serving your minister by helping him to make a fool of himself. Look at the ministers we've had. Every one of them would have been a laughing stock in three months had it not been for the most rigid and impenetrable secrecy about what they were up to. What are you supposed to do about it? Can you keep a secret? So can I. <laughs> Excuse me, I have to make a phone Well, I can't keep a secret. You're listening to Just Right here on CHRW 94.9 FM. Um, we're talking about a number of issues. Just had an interesting conversation with Marcel. I understand we're joined now by Justin. Uh, hello, Justin. Thank you for calling in. And what's on your mind today? Oh, just wanted to say, Bob, I... You know, I, I'm never really too much into politics, but I really do agree with you more though, more so than the left and what, what you stand for. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm not, not really into politics either, and I found myself in this situation pl basically playing self-defense. Because, well, you know, everybody's after your money and your freedom and your time and, and your resources, you know? I, I just, I, I more enjoy hearing about Europeans and that, but I just that Marcel guy was just, way off the deep end. Well, he's trying to encapsulate, I think, his entire feeling about the whole environmental issue. Uh, I certainly appreciate someone like Marcel calling and, and telling me what they think about the issue. And uh, But nevertheless, I can't agree with it because I have to look at the evidence as I see it. I can't go and say, oh, gee, 2,000 scientists said this, therefore I agree, when I know already of another 17,000 that don't. Sorry? Yeah, it's good. Uh, it seemed like he was he was trying to to bring in like everything he could into one subject, like like the entire yeah. problems of right. one of of the entire Earth comes from. Seemed, it seemed like everything was wrong to Earth was coming from China. Well, again, I think what Marcel was doing was trying to deflect from. Every time I answered one question, you noticed he pushed me on to another subject, and he'd go on to the next one and the next one, and by continually deflecting, he got so far away from the original issue. That, you know, that's a tactic I'm quite used to seeing in terms of, you know, when I answer a question. But, uh, you know, we appreciate you calling. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that? Not really. Okay, well, thanks for calling, Justin. Uh, I hope there's, more, more, yeah. hope there's a few more people out there that feel the same way. But, uh, again, we may be in the minority right now, but uh, hopefully someday people will understand what their governments are all about and things of that nature. But thanks for calling. Just not agreeing with that whole, if we don't change, like, the green thing now, like, the world will end in 20 years. Well, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think they said 15. Oh, goody. I got five years left. <laughs> right. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> okay, have a good day, Bob. Okay, thanks for calling, Justin. In fact, uh, that was almost going to be my, my segue in, because uh, this week there was a report out saying, chilling report, time running out in 15 years. Now, when you think about it, What's 15 years? Two, three elections away? Three major majority governments, let's say? So uh, does this sound a little bit like a salesman trying to close a deal in a hurry or what? Um, you know, it's almost as if the frenzy right now is, is completely irrational. You can just, it's not being given consideration, the due consideration it requires, so that the public can actually weigh each side. We're not even told what the science is. Um, 
It's amazing how fast the time has gone today. I was going to go through a lot of this today, including some of Elizabeth May's own responses, and you'll find that in all the stuff that I've clipped and gone through this week, there is no science. There's all just feeling, spirituality, uh, things of that nature, and very little science and a lot of, you know, name-calling. But the bottom line is, of course, they're all coming at us and they're talking like uh, we've got to kill ourselves or even worse things might happen, and <laughs> that's the way the whole issue has been unfortunately framed. And the most chilling part, if I was going to use the word what, what's chilling about the report or any of these reports, is that they, they want to tell us the science is in, that it's done, that there's nothing to argue about anymore. Well, I'll tell you, that's not the nature of science. Science doesn't work that way. Science continually discovers. It continually uh, finds new things. And to say that you can just put, you know, a clothes on it, and that's it, done, we're done, boy, you would never, ever want to be in that situation. You know, I, I look at the whole situation, too, with uh, just the symbolism of some of the things we're seeing around us right now, the symbolism of the light bulb ban. I think that's almost symbolic of snuffing out some sense of rationality. We see the McGuinty government now with the Ontario Ministry of Environment. They want to establish a 50% cut mandate in the use of plastic shopping bags, of all things. Talk about deflecting from the real issues. And, you know, when I heard, uh, heard an interview, what, what are the main reasons for this, this plastic bag ban? Well, uh, number one, litter. L litter? I mean, litter is not an issue. Litter, you can pick something up. It's not a environment issue. I see a lot of litter on my parking lot, and I don't see too many people picking it up. Uh, you know, and then, and then the, and the other reasons are it creates and generates waste for landfills, and the wind blows them around. Well, that's litter, litter, and litter, for heaven's sakes. You know, plastic bags are reusable. They are not contaminating to the environment. I use them to buy, carry, carry groceries, freeze food, you know, store other stuff, and, and put garbage in. So I have multi-uses for them, and I actually do pay for them at my grocery, so I wouldn't be wasting them. Anyways, I cannot believe how fast time has run up today. Um, we'll be seeing you next week at this time, when I hope to be joined by a guest who will enlighten us on these issues. So till then, stay right. Like to me, I don't know what the welfare system like is here, but in America we got to fix it because it's basically designed to make people on welfare dependent on welfare. And nothing that's good for you should make you dependent on it. Does that make sense? You ever heard of somebody getting hooked on working out or eating right? No. <laughs> ever see somebody strung out on the corner like, man, these vegetables is messing up my mind. Ain't going down like that. See, because you're handing out money to people that don't know what to do with money. That's cruel. Don't do that. Nobody will give a crackhead the night shift at Radio Shack. You know why? Because in the morning, it's just an empty shack with no radios. That's why they don't do that. The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW.